You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Uh, today's reading is taken from Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, please pray with me uh, as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we uh, look at the, just these couple of verses from your word, uh, that you would use them uh, to open our eyes afresh uh, to the real wonder of Christmas. And we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I wonder where the Christmas story fits in the kind of big puzzle of your life. And many of you will know by now that I've got this vision impairment. It's a disease of the retina called RP. And one of the things I used to love doing before I had RP was doing puzzles. But even now, sometimes I try, you know, can't do it very well, but I try to help my kids do their puzzles. So often we'll be working away on a puzzle and they'll have two or three pieces of the puzzle connected sort of over here somewhere, right? like completely disconnected from the rest of the puzzle. And it's not uncommon for me to say to them, well, where do you think those pieces fit? And they say, well, I don't know that. No, I've got no idea. Uh, so in the end, even though those two or three pieces kind of look nice uh, and they make my kids feel good but because they've connected a couple of bits together, uh, the reality is they're completely irrelevant. Well, now, unless we work out where they fit in the whole puzzle. You see, I reckon some of us are a little bit like that with Christmas. Which is why I'm asking, where does the Christmas story fit in the big puzzle of your life? Maybe you know a little bit about the who of Christmas, the who of the Christmas story, something about angels and shepherds and wise men. Or you might even know a bit about the, the what of the Christmas story, something about God sending his son into the world as a baby. And maybe that story even makes you feel good. It's got some real sentimental value for you at this time of year. But of course, the truth is, if you only know the who and the what of the Christmas story, in the end, the Christmas story will seem largely irrelevant to you. It'll be like those disconnected puzzle pieces. It's only when you discover the why of Christmas, where the Christmas story fits in the big puzzle of your life, that you start to see the real relevance, the significance, the real power of the Christmas story. So this Christmas at Darabin Prezi, where we're exploring that question, why Christmas? 
And to do that, we're not just looking at the traditional Christmas story in the Gospels, the kind of biographies of Jesus' life, which largely focus on the who and the what of Christmas. Uh, We're looking at a few verses from two New Testament letters, right? Verses that answer that question, why Christmas, in a kind of summary form. Verses that explain where the Christmas story fits in the big story of the Bible, and therefore where the Christmas story fits in the big puzzle of your life. As we look at these verses, my hope is that you'll see uh, the Christmas story not just as some sentimental but irrelevant fairy tale, uh, but as a relevant and powerful event in history uh, that could impact your entire life. So let's look at these verses from the book of Galatians. Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5, first through the lens of the when of Christmas. Uh, Take a look at verse 4. Paul says at the start of verse 4, but when the set time had fully come. Uh, There's a song in Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, where the character Judas is questioning the timing of Jesus' coming. He says to Jesus, every time I look at you, I don't understand why you let the things you did get so out of hand. You'd have managed better if you'd had it planned. And now why'd you choose such a backward time and such a strange land? If you had come today, you could have reached the whole nation. Israel in 4 BC had no mass communication. Maybe you share some of these doubts and questions about the exact timing of Jesus' coming. And the truth is that the Bible doesn't give us much detail about why this was the right time for Jesus to come. What the Bible is clear on is that God did send Jesus at just the right time. When the set time had fully come, at the exact moment that God had planned to. God didn't send Jesus too early. He didn't send Jesus too late. He sent him at just the right time. Well, what made it the right time? Well, we could try to come up with some sort of historical explanation for that, right? Certainly the, the kind of prevalence of Greek culture and language made it, made it a whole lot easier for the good news about Jesus to spread throughout the Roman Empire. Well, maybe that's why it was the right time. And likewise, the, the construction of a whole lot of key roads through the Roman Empire and what was called the Pax Romana, which was really referring to the peace and stability of the Roman Empire, right? all of that made it much easier for the good news about Jesus to spread. Right? But the truth is, if the Bible provides any explanation for the timing of Jesus' coming, it's what you might call a spiritual explanation, right? rather than an historical explanation. For example, if you consider this very book of Galatians, God sending Jesus at the right time means that he sent Jesus when he decided the law of Moses had done all its work of preparing people for Jesus. And we see that in a couple of verses before this. In Galatians 3, verses 23 and 24, Paul says this. He says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law but locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until, until such a time as Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. 
And we'll talk about this more in a bit, but in summary, God sent Jesus when all the preparations had been done. But in particular, the spiritual preparation of the law of Moses summarized in the Ten Commandments, doing its work of revealing just how broken and sinful we are, and therefore just how desperately we need Jesus to save us. Well, that's the when of Christmas, when the set time had fully come. What about the what of Christmas? Well, Paul says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. But notice what God did. Like God didn't send an idea. He didn't send some special spiritual advice or tips. He didn't even just send a particular religious teacher or prophet. Like God sent his son. Of course, in saying that, Paul's kind of thrusting us into the very depths of who God is. That the God who for all eternity has existed in the loving community of Father, Son and Spirit. Which incidentally is why we who are made in the image of this God value loving community so much. It's why COVID's been so difficult. Right, created in the image of this God who is three in one loving community, uh, we were created to, to live, to thrive, to flourish in loving relationships with God and with others. Uh, so therefore, uh, so before the foundation of the world, the Father, the Son and the Spirit entered uh, into a covenant with one another, right? a kind of solemn agreement with one another. Uh, the agreement being that the, when the father determined uh, that the time was right, his son would willingly enter the world as a human being. Right? He would freely and willingly surrender to the will of his father. By living the perfect life that we could never live, dying the painful death that we deserve to die, uh, and rising to powerful life, uh, that we might have life both now and forever. As you think about this, I'm sure it seems a very, very long way from a story about a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. But the reality is you'll never understand the significance of that manger if you don't understand where that manger fits in the big story of the Bible, really, in the big story of the universe. Well, sure, you can take away that story or pretend that story doesn't exist. But if you do, all you're left with is a sentimental myth or fairy tale that makes you feel warm and fuzzy each Christmas. And you think to yourself, why do Christians make such a big deal about this? Well, it's because by God's grace, well, we've come to understand where the Christmas story fits in the big story of our universe. That when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. And that's the when of the Christmas story and the what of the Christmas story. Uh, what about the how of Christmas? Well, look at verse 4. Right, Paul says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And when Paul says Jesus was born of a woman, he's saying that this baby born in Bethlehem was truly a human being. 
But the eternal Son of God was sent into the world not as some sort of ghost or spiritual appearance or angel or hallucination, but he was sent into the world as a true human being. A human being who had DNA like us, who had the same anatomy as us, who had the same physiology as us. Right? He was truly a human being. Now, who would have ever dreamed of such a plan, of such a thing? Right? Sometimes people will say to me, look, Jesus' disciples just got together and made this story up. Right? That's where the Gospels came from. But surely if you were sitting down together to kind of concoct a story that, that would be attempting to persuade people to trust and follow Jesus, surely you wouldn't have made up a story as unbelievable as this one. By God the Son being born of a woman Mary in Bethlehem. It's so crazy, it must be true. By God the Son really was born in history of the woman Mary in Bethlehem. And he was born under the law. You see, as someone who was born and lives in Australia, I'm not free to just live however I want, am I? You know, I've got to live in accordance with the laws of the government of Australia. But of course, every country in the world is sort of under the sovereign rule of God. Right? So, so when we're born into the world, we're also called to live in accordance with God's law. Right? And Paul's saying, Jesus was no different. When Jesus came into the world, he was born under God's law. Right? He had to live in accordance with God's law. By God's law, that, that, uh, uh, that God's law that he'd given to his people Israel through Moses. I mentioned it before, summarised in the Ten Commandments, and then really further summarised by Jesus in what he called the two great commandments. Uh, so as one born under God's law, uh, Jesus lived his life loving the Lord his God with his heart and soul and mind and strength uh, and loving his neighbour as he loved himself. But he lived this life of perfect obedience to God's law every moment of every day because he was one who was born under God's law. Uh, of course, to understand this, uh, I guess, a little more deeply, and you really have to read all of Galatians 1 to 3 right, for the context. But let me summarise some of the kind of key themes in those chapters uh, by referring you to three different men. Right, first, there's Abraham. Uh, in Galatians 3 verses 14 to 16, if, if you want to flick back there, uh, Paul reminded us that the God made a promise to Abraham uh, that ultimately Every nation on earth would be blessed through his descendants. But in particular, through the one promised descendant, uh, who of course is Christ. Right, so, so everyone who puts their faith in Christ or will experience the blessings promised to Abraham, the blessing uh, of being in a right relationship with God and of experiencing all the blessings that come from that. Right, this was a free and kind of unconditional promise uh, that God offered to all those who put their faith in it, right, beginning with Abraham. Uh, but then in chapter 3, verse 17, we come to Moses, right, in particular to the law of Moses. Uh, and Paul reminds us that the law of Moses doesn't set aside the promise that God made to Abraham. Well, what does Paul need to say that? 
Well, because he knows that we might be thinking to ourselves, well, if God made a promise to Abraham and then he gave a law to Moses, which is it? You know, is Christianity about a kind of free and unconditional promise that you just have to put your faith in to receive blessings from God? Or is it about a law that you've got to work hard to obey to receive blessings from God? How do God's law and his promise kind of relate to one another? Well, in Galatians 3 verse 18, Paul makes it clear that receiving the blessing that God promised to Abraham, that the inheritance he promised to Abraham, that does not depend on obedience to God's law, but on faith in God's promise. So chapter 3 verse 19, well, why did God give the law in the first place? Essentially, Paul says, it's because God knew that he had to make things worse before he could make things better. Or to use Paul's language, the law was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Right, That seed, that descendant, being Christ. Right? So, so God's law served the purpose of exposing our transgressions, Paul said. So it kind of revealed our sins. Because if you kind of look into the perfect mirror of God's law, it's not long before you realise you're just not as good as you think you are. For example, God's law calls us to, to love him with our heart and soul and mind and strength. But, but if we're honest, none of us do that. You know, often we give the love of our hearts to uh, primarily to, to all sorts of other people and things. Like God's law calls us to, to love our neighbours as we love ourselves. But often we're so consumed with loving ourselves, right, doing what's best for us, that we kind of forget about loving our neighbours. Like God's law was given not so that we could achieve salvation, but to show us that we really need salvation. You see, maybe you're different. I, I don't know. Right? But, but I don't think many of us are kind of walking around going, oh, excuse me, excuse me, I, I, I'm really looking for a saviour. Can you, can you help me? Can you tell me where I can find a saviour? Right? I suspect that most of us aren't doing that. Now, most people are walking around saying, oh, I don't need a saviour. Right? I'm perfectly fine. As well, if I say the promise is that if you trust in Jesus, you'll be saved, uh, you say, but, but I don't need to be saved. I don't need a saviour. But it's God's law that, that shows you that you do need a saviour. It shows me that I need a saviour. Oh, I mean, if you, you consider just the Ten Commandments, for example, I wonder, I wonder what score you'd give yourself out of ten on the Ten Commandments. Now, honestly. If I'm honest, oh, I don't think I've perfectly obeyed any of those commandments. But God's law reveals my sin. And so I'm incredibly thankful for his promise. His promise that Christ, his son, was one who was born of a woman, right? a true human being, who is actually able to, resent, uh, actually able to represent me, to live for me, to die for me. And as one who was born under God's law, unlike me, Christ was perfectly obedient to God's law. Christ lived the perfect life that I could never live, and then he died the death that I deserve to die. 
Uh, so when I put my faith in Christ, in God's eyes, he is credited with my hopelessly imperfect record. And I am credited with his gloriously perfect record. You see, we mustn't kind of sentimentalise the Christmas story. You've got to look at the manger, you look at the little baby Jesus. But we've got to remember that, that when we're looking at the little baby Jesus in the manger, well, we're looking at the one who, who grew up to live the perfect life that we could never live and to die the painful death that we deserve to die. Which brings us to the why of Christmas. Why did Jesus do that? Well, look at verse 5. For Paul says he did it. Uh, to redeem those under the law, uh, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Like Christ did it, uh, to both redeem uh, and adopt. Uh, firstly, he did it to redeem. You see, if I was to disobey the law of Australia, often I have to pay some sort of fine. You know, a penalty. And, of course, if I didn't pay that penalty over time, I'd accumulate a massive debt to the government of Australia. In the same way, if any of us disobey God's law, right, which we've just seen that all of us do, then we've got to pay the penalty for that. And over time, if we don't pay that penalty, well, we just accumulate a massive spiritual debt to God. So the wonderful news of Christmas is that God sent Christ, his son, to pay that debt for us. That's what the word redeem means. He paid the price to redeem us, to set us free from all our spiritual debts. So you don't have to slave away trying to pay off your debts to God through your own good works because you believe that the Christ has already paid your debts for you in your place, paying the price for your past, present and future sins through his death on the cross in your place. Right? Christ gave his life to redeem us from our spiritual debts. Right? But, but why did he want to redeem us? Oh, well, Paul says it was that we might receive adoption to sonship. This is incredible. Right? God's son humbled himself to become a servant, even a slave all the way to his death on a cross, to, to redeem us from our spiritual debts. And he did that so that we, who spiritually speaking, were slaves to sin, right? in that we just couldn't stop sinning as hard as we tried. Uh, we, who were slaves, could be adopted as God's sons, right? as dearly loved children of God. Right? The one who was a son become a, became a slave, so that we, who were slaves, could become sons, right? Sons and daughters of God. You might remember that carol, Mary's Boy Child. It has the line in it which says, Man will live forevermore because of Christmas Day. And of course, that's kind of true, right? But the full truth is that all of us are going to live forever because that's how God made us. Really, the only question is whether we're going to live together with God, right? enjoying all the blessings of being his son, his children, or whether we're going to live forever apart from God, right? experiencing all the suffering of being a slave to sin. 
I wonder what it's going to be for you, right? I understand that that's a really big question to contemplate this Christmas. And to work out where this Christmas story is going to fit in the, in, in the big puzzle of your life. You see, I'm inviting you this Christmas to not be satisfied with having the Christmas story as just a, a couple of disconnected pieces of your life. Right? Sure, yeah, that might make you feel good once a year, right? but in the end, it makes no real difference to you. But instead, you should put the pieces of the Christmas story where they belong in the big story of the universe. Right? You do that by, by believing that when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, his son born of the woman Mary, born under the law, to redeem, not just people in general, to redeem you, and that you might be adopted as his child. And when you do that, perhaps for the first time ever, you'll experience the, the real relevance, the significance, uh, and the power of the Christmas story. Because you'll finally be able to answer the question, why Christmas? Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for just these two verses from your word. And we thank you for what they show us uh, about the real reason for Christmas, uh, the why of Christmas, the significance of Christmas. Uh, please open our eyes this day, Father, uh, to see that Christ took on flesh, uh, that he might give his life to redeem us and that we might be adopted uh, as children of our Heavenly Father. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.